Hey, and welcome back. You're listening to season two of Behind the Podium. We're your hosts, Daniel Lesoto and Ella Smith. This season is dedicated to all things Paralympics as they happen and as medals are won. In today's episode, we'll be catching you up on all the standout moments so far from the Aussie team in Tokyo and then look forward to the next few days of action. We also chat the two-time Paralympic gold medalist Tracy Burrell on her wild experience at the 1992 Barcelona Games and her views on the development of the Paralympic movement since then. Yeah, that's going to be a great interview, so stick around for that. Let's get straight into it, Daniel. The current medal tally on the third last day of the Paralympics, Australia's got 70 medals altogether. 18 of them are gold, 25 silver and 27 bronze. So we're not quite up to my prediction of 30 gold medals, but we're still performing really well. We won a few medals today. Curtis McGrath won gold in the kayak final today and he also has the VAR final tomorrow. Susan Seeple also went well, winning silver in the women's VAR event today. And she's through to the semi-final and hopefully the final in the kayak tomorrow. We also saw silver being won by the women's table tennis team, but we have the men's team in the same classification in the gold match tonight against China. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that gold match against China. Obviously, we lost this morning to Poland, so hopefully we get some revenge and get that gold medal in the table tennis. Of course, Ellen, we can't forget Paige Greco this morning. She won bronze in the women's road race C1-3 division. And that's her third medal of the game. So big congrats to Paige. So Ella, these Paralympics have seen a lot of records made and also broken, with Australian athletes performing extremely well across all different events. But for you, what was the most notable victory so far? Yeah, there's been so many records made by so many athletes, but I think the one that stands out the most to me is Ellie Cole becoming the most successful Australian female Paralympian and the third most successful Paralympian across the board, which she achieved yesterday after winning bronze in the relay. We've seen some other records made and broken in the athletics as well. James Turner set a Paralympic record in the 400-metre run to win gold. And tonight he's going for his second gold in the 100-metre tonight. Another record that was broken was by Michal Burian. He set a world record in the javelin. Now, he won silver in that because he was competing in a mixed event. So he's in the F44 category, but he was competing with F64 athletes as well, meaning that while he set a world record for his own category, he was beaten by an athlete to win gold in the whole event itself. So Ella, we've touched on some gold medals, some silver medals, but it hasn't been all sunshine and roses in Tokyo. There's been some really horrible weather over the last couple of days, some massive torrential downpour, and it's caused a lot of havoc, hasn't it? Because in the sun, just to name one sport, there's been a few falls in that slippery weather, not least to mention Carol Cook. We spoke to Carol in our last episode, and she was coming to Tokyo looking to defend her gold medals from both London and Rio. She did come second and winning silver, of course, in the T12 road time trial, which is still a great result. And yesterday she looked to bounce back from that result and go for gold again in the road race. But she got trapped early on in a bit of a pile-up and ended up being hospitalized by a really ugly fall. She had puncturing her lung. Yeah, I think it's fair to say from our chat with Carol Cook, she is a very optimistic, very positive sort of person. And I'm sure that this won't get in her way of getting back on the bike and back to Paris. We've also seen some... Crazy weather affect the tennis. Dylan Orcott and Heath Davidson were in the quads doubles final against Niels Vink and Sam Schroeder of the Netherlands yesterday, but it actually got paused in the middle of the game because of how wet the court was. And there's some great footage of Dylan Olcott helping out the volunteers and sweeping the court with a towel. Now, unfortunately, they did lose that match, but they still won silver, which is awesome. Dylan Alcott was there meant to go on and play his quad single final against Sam Schroeder from the Netherlands last night, but because the weather got worse, that actually got postponed. So he is playing in the final at 11 a.m. tomorrow, Sydney time. Now, Daniel, some really exciting news came out yesterday after it was revealed that Paralympians don't take home any prize money for winning medals, unlike the Olympians. 
There was a really large public outcry and a lot of pressure put on the government from individuals, but also from athletes and former athletes within the media. And the outcome of that has been fantastic. The The Prime Minister announced yesterday that Paralympians would get the same prize money as Olympians. Interestingly enough, we spoke to our guest, Tracy Burrell, yesterday about this issue, just hours before it was announced. Tracy's a two-time Paralympic gold medalist, having won gold in the S34 50-meter butterfly and the S16 4x50-meter freestyle relay. Tracy grew up in Sydney and now lives in Tweed Heads, where she is staging a potential Paralympic comeback in the shooting for Paris 2024. So Tracy, reflecting back, how did this impact your early life? I guess it was easy because I was born like this. So again, I don't have any um, phantom pains. I'm not missing what I had because I didn't have it. But I think growing up in the Sutherland Shire was amazing because even though it was a big area, it was actually a really small community and everybody knew me. So I was able to transition to a normal, I went to a normal preschool, even though some people were against it, the person running it, it was, I suppose, what you would call now family daycare. So yeah, she was happy to have me there. And I was very blessed to be able to just live a free life. And the whole community sort of had an eye out for me like I'd zip around and ride my skateboard and go to a normal school and everyone was aware of who I was in the area so you know they looked after me made sure I was safe but I was able to be a kid be a teenager be just a normal active person in the community so it was wonderful. Yeah, that's so awesome. Tracy let's fast forward a little bit because you're only 18 years old when you made your first Paralympics at Barcelona in 92 and obviously you performed very well despite your age and seeming inexperience, winning two gold medals and coming fourth in forever finals. So did you surprise yourself at all by making those five finals in your Paralympic debut? And was it at all surreal having that level of success at such a young age? Oh, it was crazy. That was my very first international competition. I had never been overseas before and it was just, it was amazing. My first race freaked me out because all the other participants in my race were a water starts and I was a dive start. So I was up on the block and they're, they're yelling at me in Spanish right when it's my race. And they're apparently telling me to get in the water because they didn't have me as a dive start. And there was all this like kerfuffle for my first race and I was having a heart attack. But, you know, having the team behind you and screaming out, you know, the Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. It's like that puts your mind at ease and stuff like that. And I actually could have done better in some of the races. I could have actually collected a few of the bronzes, but the girl that came third, she actually threatened me. And because it was my first overseas trip, uh, she goes, I'm going to bash you if you beat me. I'm like, okay. And so I was like really scared. So the first two times that happened, everyone's like, why do you keep just like putting your arm over and then you stop and then you hit? I'm like, oh, because she said she's going to bash me. And they're like, that's not going to happen. So Yeah, I just got blown out of the water because, you know, you you go into the holding room, so you don't have your coaches or anything there. And they say all sorts of things. And I'd never been overseas. I was like, okay, okay. I was freaking out. I dipped out on a few bronzes, but that's all right. 4 by 50 freestyle relay. Oh my gosh, that was just amazing. Like we weren't even supposed to win. Our coach just put together our times that we all did for 50s. So we were way over in lane seven, USA were in the middle and we were just doing our thing and we won. And it was just like, whoa, where did that come from? So that was my first gold. So it was amazing to be part of the team. And I'm still really good friends with Anne Bunnell. And it's just, yeah, that was a boost. And so for my butterfly, before the actual game started, we were training and I went to the toilet and the toilets were underground and I actually got kidnapped by Polizia and, or I think it might've been the Garzia, the, the, the battle out of one of the police units and they actually were holding me hostage for at least an hour and they wanted me to sign out of my races because Regina Kashan was the Spanish girl for the butterfly and they knew by going by my times that I was going to beat her so they were trying to sign me out of my races and I didn't sign and stuff like that 
Yeah, so that was that story. So <laughs> I was a bit scared when it came to the butterfly race. It was the weirdest feeling because I was out in front the whole time. I actually thought I was that slow that everyone had gone past me because I was so paranoid about my dives. I thought I'd dive too deep and that I was still under and they're all gone and I've hit the wall and I'm like looking either side and they're not there. And I'm like, oh, my God, I was so slow. They're out of the pool. Like, seriously. <laughs> I turned around and that was when I saw my name and then they were coming in. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. So, yeah, it was just because I'd never done international stuff before. So I hadn't sort of like experienced anything like it. And it was just, it's mind blowing. It's like it happened yesterday. I keep thinking it did happen yesterday. (laughs) So I forget how old I am. If I talk to kids these days, I go, oh, remember when? I'm like, yeah, no, you probably weren't even alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that kidnapping story has to be one of the most bizarre things I had come across. And as we were talking before we recorded, the importance of visibility in terms of when the Paralympic Games are on the TV and people can watch it, is that something that you really notice the importance of? Oh, 100%. I love how every interview, everybody's so behind, like, you know, making a difference for a a kid out there, somebody out there that's become disabled, but also raising awareness to the public about our acceptance, the high level of athleticism that we are. We're not, we're not cripples in wheelchairs. We're not people just having a go like it used to be. They're top-notch athletes. Like they train and they're being respected for that now. And that's really awesome that like, you know, the technology for their equipment, their processes, their thought processes, the training regimes they all get now. It's so professional. It's just really good to see because I think the broader community just take notice of it. Back in the days, it was like, oh, we were just having some fun. And the London ones, they did reference in the newspaper that it was a bunch of broken toys having a picnic, which it looks like that. And it is like that, but we are professionals. We are athletes. And yeah, I just loved everyone's interviews and how they break down and cry. And like, they're so thankful that they've won medals or they're so thankful that they got there and they thank all the people that got them there. But everyone's always had a great shout out to change someone else's life and like really bring the actual disability part to the forefront of acceptance. And so that's been wonderful. I love that. And that's why I enjoy watching it. Cause like I said, these are my people because everybody's different. And I love looking at all the different abilities and different body structures and the way people use their bodies because it's my people. And so, yeah, I get to actually watch TV with everyone that represents me because once the Paralympics are over, it goes back to the perfect looking everybody. (laughs) That's so interesting, Tracy. I have to ask, since your Paralympics in 92, have you noticed any progression at all? Obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done and that's very visible for some medal controversy, but have you noticed any change at all? Oh, 100%. When I was privileged enough to be invited to help with the handover to Rio, I saw the kits that they get now. I was blown away. We got like a T-shirt, a we probably got about four items of clothing. Uh, we had the ceremony outfit, we had a competition outfit, and then we had some like couple of T-shirts for the village, and that was it. And but just the support, I think, has stepped up a lot. There's a lot more avenues. There's some people can take on some work avenues in the Paralympic Association. They have more like Danny being the uh, welfare officer. They've got that. They've got a lot more points of call to assist athletes or their families with their structure and stuff like that. Whereas I had a paper exercise book that my coach wrote out my regime and that was it. (laughs) I would just hand it in to my coach whenever we had a nationals or something and she'd just photocopy it and that was about it. Nobody heard, you you didn't hear from anybody whilst you were training or anything. Yeah, that's really interesting, Tracy, and it's good to see how much has changed for the positive over the last few decades. 
So moving back to the Tokyo team, Tracy, there's three Indigenous Australians in this team, and both Ruby and Amanda have won medals already. And we're also seeing a concerted effort from the Australian Paralympic Organisation to highlight Indigenous culture through the design of the team's uniform, which obviously includes dot paintings telling the stories of different athletes. So as an Indigenous Australian yourself, is this representation and visibility significant to you? Yeah, it is. It just would have been nice if it was a bit more acknowledged of who the artist was and what the actual story is because, you know, I love Indigenous art, I do it myself, and I don't know what the story is. I see the pictures and stuff, but I'm not correlating a story with that. So there's no real emphasis on what the actual story is, if it's a coming together. I'm not seeing any particular icons that allude to what it is like there's no community sort of pictures and things like that so I don't really know what the motive is uh, what the pictures are for but they're beautiful and it's the first step so that's great I acknowledge that that's the first step there's only minimal people in the team like myself I didn't identify back in 92 because it just wasn't the thing to do would have been a disadvantage but it's also harder for the athletes indigenous because in the communities there's not a lot of funding there's not a lot of access to training or facilities that quality tracks or pools aren't really up to scratch to be able to have your times for or you've got to travel so far and again money's the problem getting equipment is the problem getting assistance and coaches and accessing those types of facilities to be able to do the sport that you want to do is a real burden on the family so that's why there's always going to be pushback and not a lot of athletes that can move forward and want to do it There are a lot of athletes out there in community that would love to do it, but it comes down to the practicality and the day-to-day services, equipment, and access to facilities and things like that stops them. But hopefully, like Paralympics Australia are really open to changing that and starting to work with us, with a group of us that are assisting them, putting some better procedures and some ideas behind the scenes to help people move forward to be able to do the journey of Paralympics because it is a long journey. It's a very expensive journey and not everyone can afford that. Yeah, absolutely. Tracy, speaking about the Paralympic journey, we have to speak about yours because it's continuing hopefully in Paris 2024. Yeah, so the last couple of years I've been working on shooting, pistol shooting, and I've been speaking to the Paralympic Association if this is viable and the club that I'm with, I've got some really good coaches and I've already done a couple of competitions and I've scored pretty well. I was telling them my scores and they're like, wow, that's pretty good. Like I'm already shooting 323s and 300 scores. So that's pretty good. And yeah, I'd love to come back and do that because I did try to come back in Beijing for sitting volleyball. But we just got knocked out and it was hard with the kids because they were so young and majority of us women on the team had kids. So we didn't, we weren't able to come to fruition, but we went to Shanghai and represented. And so, yeah, then I had an incident where I've lost more function of my arm. So my only arm got a blood clot and it broke my elbow. So therefore... I can't manoeuvre the way I did. So I'm in the electric wheelchair full time, 24-7 care now. So it's a bit disappointing. Yeah, so my avenue now is shooting because I was mucking around with a gel gun and my carer wanted to buy a gel gun. And at the shop, there was a couple of targets and he was shooting. He was like shooting everywhere. And I went, give us a go. And I just went and got all four. And they're like, ooh. So that was the joke, but now it's actually coming to fruition. (laughs) Tracy, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. And we are very much looking forward to Paris 2024 in three years' time. But before we get there, we've got a few more events happening over the final weekend of the Tokyo 2020 Games. So, Daniel, what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, so the last weekend of Olympic or Paralympic competition is always a big athletics weekend. And for me, it's going to be Dean Kenzie in the 1500 metres. 
He's in the T38 classification. And he's going to look to do one better than he did in Rio when he got the silver medal. Interestingly enough, the person he came second to in Rio has now retired. So it's open field. But a new rivals in town because the Canadian Nate Rich, he now holds the world record, which he took earlier this year. So he's coming to this meet with pretty strong form. So it'll be really interesting to see how Dean responds to that. Dean is a world champion. He won gold at the 2017 World Para-Athletic Championships, but he's been on a record saying that doesn't mean much to him if he can't win the Paralympics. So it's going to be a really, really big couple of days for him. His heat's tonight and the final's tomorrow. So look out for that one. Yeah, that sounds good. That's going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, I think so too, Ella. But what are you looking forward to the most for the next couple of days? So I'm really excited for the marathon, which is something I never thought I would say because it is usually quite a long and not the most interesting race. However, in the Paralympics, we've got two really strong competitors in Jared Clifford and Madison D. Rosario, who have both won two medals at these games so far. Jared won bronze in the 1500 meter and silver in the 5000 meter, which was quite dramatic, actually. He collapsed at the end and then was taken off on a stretcher, which he actually said thought was a little bit dramatic. And he really hoped that that didn't get him pulled out from the marathon. Luckily, it hasn't. So he's still in competition there. And Madison has won gold in the 800 meter and bronze in the 1500 meter as well. So two very strong athletes who compete quite differently. Madison is a wheelchair athlete. So hopefully the rain that we've seen over there stays at bay because she will be racing through the streets of Tokyo in the marathon. And we know that the rain has had a serious effect on the cyclists and it's also had a serious effect on the wheelchair athletes on the track in the athletics. So she's managed to deal with the rain really well in her previous events. So hopefully she'll be just as strong in this event as well. Jared, he has a vision impairment. He actually accidentally qualified for the marathon, which is something that just sounds absurd, but goes to show that he is just such a gifted and talented athlete. Since he has a vision impairment, he'll be using guides for the marathon just to navigate through the streets of Tokyo. He hasn't used a guide in the other events that he has done because it is on the track, uh, but he will have Vincent Donadieu and Tim Logan, who is his best mate. Now, if you start a marathon with a guide, you have to finish it with them. So I'm not sure if he'll pick one or the other or if they'll swap throughout it, but that will be really interesting to see how that goes because not only is he running a marathon, but so is his guide. So they've got to keep up with him because he's pretty fast. He is pretty fast. I can confirm that a lot. And I can't quite believe that he's still going in Tokyo right now. He damn near died a couple of days ago. And now he's going to be in a marathon. So fair play to him and best of luck. Let's take it to a different sport, a different vibe too, because the boccio is on this weekend. The pairs and teams have both been in action today. And they're going to look to improve on their Paralympics after Daniel Michelle, the fourth ranked in the world, and his rap assistant, Ash McClure, won bronze in the BC3 category against Great Britain's Scott McGowan. I was in the bronze medal match and... Daniel had a really tough semi-final. He lost by one point to not get to the gold medal match. Of course, that's pretty heartbreaking. So it's very cool to see him bounce back and be so resilient against that tough conditions and win the bronze medal match. Quite comfortably, he won. It was a 6-1 victory. So, so the bronze medal was wrapped up pretty early in the piece. It's our first bocce medal since Atlanta 96, of course. So that's 25 years in the making. So really awesome to see us get back on the podium. Yeah, that's right. We've also got wheelchair basketball coming up. The women's have got knocked out. They came ninth overall, but we've got the men's team playing for fifth place against Turkey tomorrow afternoon at 3.15 Sydney time. They unfortunately lost the quarterfinal to the home team, Japan. So this should be a great game to finish on a high. Now also keep your eyes out for swimming, which wraps up tonight. We've got a few more finals to go with some Australians in them and the field and track. We've got also more Aussies yet to compete and go for medals before the closing ceremony wraps up the Tokyo Games on Sunday night. Yeah, it's been a great game so far, Ella, and I can't wait to see the last weekend of action. 
Thanks for tuning into season two of Behind the Podium. It was great catching up with Tracy Burrell, who we're excited to see back competing for Australia in 2024. Now be sure to keep an eye on your podcast feeds for more good stuff from us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Central News UTS. We'd love to hear how you think the Aussie team are going. Send us a message or tweet at us with the hashtag behind the podium. In the next episode, we'll be wrapping up the 2020 Tokyo Paralympic Games, breaking down the big discussions that came from it and chatting about how Team Australia fared. So take care, go Australia, and we'll be back on Monday bringing you our final episode for season two. 